Welcome to the GateWorld Podcast. This is episode number 99 of the GateWorld Podcast. I'm Darren. I'm David. And this is the show where two nerds talk about Stargate. This week's show number 99 is all about ancient history. One thing that I wanted to do is, uh, you know what I liked about uh, the premiere of Stargate Universe was the Daniel Jackson 101 videos that we saw just little clips of. Introduction to who are the Gould, what's the Stargate, how does it work? So uh, this may be the first of a Stargate 101 series of podcasts. We're talking all about ancient history, everything that we know about the ancients. Uh, and that spans a lot of time, a lot of seasons of television, a few movies. Uh, there's a whole bunch of bits and pieces to put together. So if you are a continuity geek like, like me and David, uh, there might be, not be a whole lot in this discussion that's new to you necessarily. But if you're not as hardcore, uh, you're, you've got some questions about, you know, where were the ancients? When were they in the Pegasus Galaxy? Uh, when were they the Altarans? Uh, when was Destiny launched? We're going to try and get to all that today. Some of it is unfortunately conjecture. Uh, when, uh, in terms of where we've decided where things need to go in the timeline, um, because they had to happen somewhere, and you know, a little bit of is if, if it is you know building on ten seasons of continuity. Right. My, for instance, the the alliance of the four races. Specifically, when did that happen? Before they left for Pegasus or after? And I I, I contend it's before, but right, uh, right. we'll get into that. So, um, but yeah, ninety nine. That sounds awfully good. It's a big number. This is our last uh, double digit podcast. That feels pretty good. Yeah. Uh, before we get to that, though, you are fresh off the boat from Comic Con. Going to tell us a little bit about your weekend. Uh, and weekend weekdays too. Got there Wednesday morning. Uh, was at Comic Con for five days, almost solid. Didn't leave until about eight or eight thirty. Um, Sunday night. What an event. Holy cow. The networking wow. opportunities, you know. I just hope that I don't get H1N1 again because that's really going to suck. I've never been more sick in my life than I did after last year's Comic-Con. Got con crud, so I tried to swallow some uh, some vitamin C when I could, but uh, didn't really get the opportunity. Tons of handshakes and not very many hand-washing opportunities. Oh, great. So that's what happens when you man a booth. Take the vitamin so. C and the hand sanitizer, too. I know. So uh, I haven't talked to you yet since you got back from Comic-Con. I want to hear first uh, if you made it to the Stargate Universe panel and what you heard there. No, I didn't. They, uh, they were pretty booked up, actually. There was, uh, there was a pretty significant panel, one or two uh, panels after them, that pretty much everyone had been in line for from the very early morning hours. You, you couldn't get into yeah. the SGU panel unless you'd been in line at like – Five o'clock. I can't. I can't remember if it's Bones or the the name of the show. Is that a show right now, Bones? Yeah, yeah. And, the, and Bones I, did their panel in Ballroom Twenty. And I exactly. I read, Everyone was in line for Bones. Yeah. Somebody uh, posted a news article or a blog, and and it was about I can't. I don't know what it was that they were there for, but they got in line. And this is basically. I mean, this is what I heard last year. You sit. You get a seat in the ballroom, and then you sit through two or three panels leading up to the one that you want to be there for, because mm-hmm. the lines are so long, the demand is so high. Yeah. So yeah, it's there insane. are a lot of people in Paul there. Paul H is even worse. I've never even seen Paul H. Yeah, I, I would just like to go inside Hall H and have a look at it because I've heard it's enormous. But during Comic Con, you know, the only time that you're going to be able to get into it is if you is if you you know s- waste a day trying to. It's just it's just nuts. So that's just one of the rooms that I'll never see. But yeah, and and I demand at this convention is just it's nuts. The events. It is too big for this place now. I, as, I think most of the tickets, if not all of them, are already sold out for next year. <laughs> so it's, it's nuts. It is nuts. But you did get to man the PropWorks booth. I saw a little I video of, of David Reed on Airlock Alpha, which was really nice to see. Oh, you did? I haven't seen it yet. Am I, am I really embarrassing? No, you did a great job. Really? You're like really? an internet was... personality. Oh man, I, I Mike You're took that places. and I was like, oh boy, don't use that. So no, I'll have to go check it out. It's interesting. Okay, uh, all the the Starfleet captain uniforms there behind you. I did go to the uh, the Warehouse Thirteen panel. Oh, you did? Because uh, uh, I, I also work with Fox and Jenny, my my boss at, at Fox was. Uh, she said, "Come on, show up." So I did, and I and I sat in this in this huge ballroom and listened to everybody laugh and shout and cheer, and I'm laughing and go, "I have no idea who the hell these people are on stage." 
So that was really great. But I, I'm going to start watching it. I'm, I'm going to start watching Yeah, so. I, did, I did pick up over, over the summer here and, and just finished watching the first season. And, uh, yeah, it's a good little show for sure. Got to the Glee panel. Didn't think I was going to get in. Oh, you did. I heard that was huge. Oh, it was fantastic. Really good. Um, yeah, so that's that did a, did a bunch of stuff. I, I talked with uh, Elena Huffman in an interview. I, I interviewed Christopher Judge. Nice. Uh, they were they were both doing some signings, and uh, uh, it was really great. So we got a little event. Stargate stuff out of it. Yeah, exactly. Good. So I think you know I. I I wasn't going to do any ball, any uh, panels this year. This is like it's all over YouTube. I mean, Sci-Fi the Wire will carry the the SG panel. It, you can't uh, unless you get right up front. You can't see them anyway. You're you're watching giant monitors. So what's the point? As far mm-hmm. as I'm concerned, so. I hope they do. A few years ago, uh, for Atlantis season five, I think I just remember Jewel was on the panel. Um, mm. Sci-Fi Wire published the entire video, of the entire panel. Um, I don't yeah. think they did that last year at all. Uh, okay. So, yeah, I don't know if we're going to get to actually see it online. Sad news to report. You found this just a few moments ago, I think. Yeah, a few other bits of news. Uh, this one just hit. Actor Maury Chaikin, who played Nerus on Stargate SG-1, has passed away. Um, 61. Passed away age 61, and apparently, um, from what CBC reports, passed away on his 61st birthday. Oh, wow. That uh, happens a lot. Yeah, Nerus was... I thought he was in more episodes than this, but he was only in two episodes in in season nine. He was in Beachhead and Off the Grid. Uh, But just as far as the Gould goes, such a memorable character, such a unique character. General, they said you were coming. I didn't believe them. I said, I don't believe you. (laughs) (laughs) He had great comedic delivery. I put this little video on on our news story of uh, his... his, uh, He's having the banquet, the the feast, the one man yes. feast, and uh, and has the exchange with uh, with General Landry about chicken. What do you call this? Chicken. I must have more chicken. chicken. Yeah, like it's like it's a del- a rare delicacy or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's sad news. He'll definitely be missed. In other news, Stargate Universe season one point five just came out on DVD. This is the back half of the season. It's uh. If you live in the U.S. or Canada, uh, Region 1 DVD and Blu-ray uh, just came out on Tuesday. And that's got the back half of the season. So uh, season 1.5. And it reportedly comes with a sleeve if you want to make yourself a nice little little cozy box set with your season 1.0 collection. Uh, some people are waiting for a complete season release. And reportedly there's going to be one in 2011. Um, I would guess by then that the price point for all 20 episodes will be lower, obviously, than they are now as a, as a mm-hmm. brand new release. Um, but based on MGM's track record with multi-releases, I would guess that there's not going to be any new content. So if anybody's holding out so. for, for content, uh, I think now's the time to pick it up. Yeah, I uh, I, I got a, a review copy at uh, at Comic-Con, and I've, I've already played with it. It's great. I, I never saw the, the SGU 1.0 set, and I also picked that up for 17 bucks at Comic-Con. Fox brings a, nice. a certain number of, uh, of, of, uh, of discs for, for promotion and uh, for sale there, and they, the prices are very low. They get rid of them fast. Pre-orders wow, were good. gone, or uh, sales for 1.5 were wrapped by, I think, Friday or Thursday. They were gone, hmm. so... I've stuck it in. I'm very impressed with this uh, Destiny SML, which is a, like a, a galactic map of all the features. Ivan has just outdone himself. It is nuts. Cool. So great features. I'm, I'm going to do a video review, so I'll be looking for that on the site pretty soon. Awesome. And last but not least, uh, out of Comic-Con, if you're a big Stargate fan, in addition to the panel, Sci-Fi Channel has also released a trailer for Season 2. This is our first really full look. It's that little one that they ran at the end of, of Incursion Part 2, but this was the big sort of media look and there's actually a lot of spoilers here for season two there is a lot of stuff in it looks beautiful it's uh almost it's a little over two minutes long it's uh 216 is the running time it's on gateworld.net right now if you want to watch it obviously not going to talk about the spoilers here but um i'm definitely liking what i see there's some, some interesting stuff coming up lots of new locations shall we say yes and new characters some some developments that I one particular development that I had a hunch about is kind of revealed in this. So we'll see how it goes. I can't believe that that the premiere is less than two months away. I know we've uh, we wanted to get to, to episode one hundred of our podcast before we took a summer break, and it, it, conventions and such keep 
just getting pushed back and pushed back. And now our break is only going to be a month and a half long. I don't know. I think you and I are both kind of ready for a break, but the break won't get here because we can't get to 100. <laughs> we keep on pushing the finish line. <laughs> yeah. This week's was almost delayed, actually, because of Comic-Con. But. I know. We're recording Tuesday right now, and, it, and it's supposedly going to go up tomorrow, so we'll, we'll see what happens. It, we'll it may be delayed a little bit. We'll but. see. The main discussion. We're talking about the ancients today, and uh, there's a couple of things on GateWorld that you want to go and check out uh, to follow along this discussion. Uh, there are links in the show notes right now at GateWorld.net, uh, and one is uh, the ancients entry in the Stargate Omnipedia, which is fairly extensive. And the other one that I think we're really going to hit is the timeline that David wrote up for us. Um, there is the main Stargate timeline, and then there is an ancient specific timeline, which yes. is going to trace from long, long, long ago what what you've called prehistory, um, the Alterans, uh, to many, many millions of years ago, to hundreds of thousands of years ago, to yeah. 10,000 years ago, all the way up to present day and the are now ascended and, and floating around our heads, not causing <laughs> trouble. Ca- causing trouble not. by not causing trouble. Go to the Omnipedia, the bar on the left side, click on Timeline, and then at the top of that page, there's an ancient-specific timeline link, and you can click on that if you care to. The, the timeline is just, the general timeline is one massive index of all the events that have been chronologically mentioned in SGU in Stargate Universe as of SGU Episode 8. So I need to go back in there and clean it up a little bit. But uh, some of it is, uh, is conjecture. Most of it is pretty rock solid. It's an attempt to take 15, 16 seasons of, of story and, and make it all work together. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a big nice. challenge, especially when you're trying to map the timeline onto other species' timelines. Like, uh, yes. Like the Asgard. We have this proto-Asgard, this earlier stage of Asgard evolution that showed up in Revelations at the end of Season 5, you know, the really tall, human-looking Asgard, uh, which was supposedly like 30,000 years old or something like that. Is that what the Asgard looked like when they were allied with the Ancients and and the Nox and the Furlings? I don't know. It's entirely possible. The story of the Ancients starts off with the Altera from an unnamed galaxy, which we've uh, we've called the Ori Galaxy throughout the series, mm-hmm. throughout the last two seasons of SG-1. The Altera were a society that had a fundamental split. They divided themselves between the group that we would know the ancients and the Ori. The Ori stayed behind. They gained a great deal of power and control. The, the Alterans had the opportunity to force their, their brothers to, to listen to reason by using the Ark of Truth. And instead, Amelius, the inventor, was ordered to bury the device, and the future ancients left uh, the Ori Galaxy in a great ship that we only saw a glimpse of in the DVD movie, The Ark of Truth. And so they headed to our galaxy. So now the ancients and the Ori were both uh, the same race originally. They come from the same original species. Was it the Alterans that we're just calling the Ancients were the Alterans, or, or were the Ori also the Alterans? Um, I considered the Alterans that, that species, and then, the, then you got the Ori and the Ancients that emerged from that. So we see in Amelius lots of uh, really brilliant scientists in the Ancients. Uh, we'll come across these guys, Janus and Merlin, certainly, mm-hmm. as we talk through the history. Um, these, uh, the, the ancients were scientifically minded, sort of, I think, to a degree, over against a religious point of view. Certainly an Ori religious philosophy that was, uh, eventually became sort of forced conversion. Uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's why the Alterans had to leave their planet, was they, they could not live in harmony with people who were trying to forcibly convert them. Yeah, because I mean, the Ori were the same as they are basically more recently, where if you don't convert, you must die. And the, the ancients uh, had the choice to either, either forcibly convert them and, and, and in so doing lose everything that they were or leave. And they left. And they left this problem to fester for millions of years. Hi, Darren and David. This is Andy Kay, a.k.a. Thunderbird 2 on the GateWorld Forum, responding to this week's listener question. What is your favorite episode, character or element of the ancients and their backstory? 
For me overall, I would have to say it was when the Ancients were still something of a mystery. Early episodes such as SG-1's Torment of Tantalus and The Fifth Race, where we get little pieces of the puzzle of who the Ancients were, the fact that they were the gate builders, the fact they had the alliance with the Asgard, the Nox and the Furlings, subsequent elements such as in The Lost City Parts 1 and 2 that, that we learn of the fact that this great city and our characters piece together that that is Atlantis which leads to the discovery of Atlantis in The Rising. But for me, I would have to say the less we actually definitively knew about the ancients, the more they were kept in the background and kept mysterious, the greater that fired the imagination about who they might have been, what they might have done. I mean, we know they created the Stargate. When we see Atlantis, we think... Wow, what else did they do? And in some ways, it's a shame when later on we learned what they actually did get up to and the consequences that it had. As a character, I would have to say that Ayana from the sixth season episode Frozen of SG-1, who also briefly appears at the start of Atlantis's pilot episode, she embodies this. We learn next to nothing about her, but far from left thinking, well, what was going on there, you're left wondering, who was she? What was she about? What was her position in the ancient society? What could she have taught us? And you actually savour the fact that we're left with questions because, again, that fires the imagination and gets you thinking. For me, that was an element that I, I missed as Atlantis went on. But from, from SG-1's early days, it, it got me thinking, what if, in a big way? So for me, that was the aspect of the ancients that I found the most interesting. Now, what's so interesting about ancient history is that in, in Stargate... The TV shows and the films, uh, all of what we're talking about has been told out of order. Pretty much everything that we talked about so far with, with the Altarians comes from the Ark of Truth, the movie, which is after 10 years of SG-1 and after three years of Atlantis had already aired. Mm. Um, remember, for most of SG-1, certainly before Atlantis, certainly the first five or six seasons of SG-1, we knew next to nothing about these guys, which was really fascinating to me. When Ayana came along in the, the episode Frozen, which we'll certainly talk about in a minute, we didn't know that she necessarily was an ancient at first. That was the assumption, though. Yeah, yeah. It, it was something that, that we as viewers sort of pieced together because we just had this mention in season one about this alliance of four great races, uh, one of whom was the ancients. And, you know, as the show goes along, you realize that the claim to fame of the ancients is they're road builders, and Daniel thinks that they're the ones who built the Stargates. So this race is so significant in Stargate history from season one because we're convinced that these guys actually built the Stargates. And it's Emilius, as we find out in, in Arc of Truth in the opening teaser, that Emilius, the scientist, long, long ago has this idea. He was always tinkering, always working, like an early Janus. Wouldn't mm -hmm. be surprised if there was some ancestry there. Some, some, some connection. But yeah, so they, they arrived in the Milky Way galaxy, and uh, they do what ancients tend to do, is uh, they seeded life across the, the Milky Way galaxy. And this is where it gets fuzzy, the three to 50 million years time gap. There's a lot that, uh, that that's a lot of room, you know. That's a lot um, of time. The, we, we know from Ayana that uh, she was a previous evolution of humanity, but was far, far, much farther along the evolutionary path than we are. Uh, for one thing, she could, she could thaw from, from a block of ice and, and stay alive and uh, heal other beings. But uh, I digress. The, so between three and 50 million years, the, the, we, it is my belief that the, the ancients formed their alliance with the Asgard Nox and, uh, and Furlings. Mm -hmm. um, this was... Ago. Yes. Well, I mean, because they, they were in the galaxy. They were operating within the galaxy. You know, Proclarush Teonos was abandoned uh, mm -hmm. at, this, at this time. The plague occurred at this time. The ancients of P4X639 and Window of Opportunity, they built their, their time device around this time. Uh, the Takara superweapon was, was created right. to repair the damage caused by the plague. So it, it so seems to be... In our galaxy, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Do you know that about the Takara weapon, the... the uh, it was, you know, it had the ability to, to sort of, uh, of uh, reboot the, the galaxy and seed new life. In uh, terms of life, yeah. I, was I that, think was that the, the plague that, that they were, yes. that that was built for because the, yes. the ancients had been largely wiped out? Yeah, Anubis, Anubis makes that abundantly clear in, in threads that that is, that is the reason that that device was created. I'm thinking that the four great races had a few enemies 
and created this device uh, after they lost. So I, I think that that's that's one of the that's one of the things that you could probably take from it because it's around the same time period, in in terms of in, in terms of how I have broken this down and examined it from all the different angles. I think that this is where it fits best. I think that maybe because we call them the ancients, I always pictured this species as sort of of a much much older and technologically evolutionary evolutionarily superior to uh, the Asgard mm. and the Nox and the Furlings. Uh, so I, I kind of wondered if they were originally like the preservers in the Star Trek universe, which is the preservers uh, have this this explanation in the episode The Chase. The Chase. Where they say, you know, we uh, achieved uh, the ability to, to travel between the stars, and so they launched their ships and they got out there and they discovered that they were alone, that there were not other advanced species like that that they could interact with. So then they went about seeding creating their, their form of mm-hmm. life on all these worlds um and i wonder if when the ancients got to the milky way galaxy if they discovered that they were alone that there were no other spacefaring races um and the nox obviously we know or i'm sorry the asgard we know are from another galaxy than ours although they seem to have had a presence in our galaxy at some point or they came from our galaxy and ultimately left yeah that's possible too there there's a there's an uh, i i've read some conjecture where these all these the ancients arrived from outside of the galaxy, and the Nox and the Asgard and the Furlings were here. And the Nox, at this point in their evolution, were much more plant-like. That intermingling with with uh, human DNA allowed them to have the much more human appearance that they have now. But in that time period, they were more much more like trees, which was which was an interesting concept. And the Asgard, you know, obviously. Uh, looked more like uh, what we've seen, what we just talked about, the revelations in Revelations uh, about their appearance. So, And who knows about the Furlings, geez. Yeah, but like you said, this span of time, you know, about 30 massive. to 50 million years ago, massive. Think about the, the developments in human culture in the last three to 5,000 years. I mean, even 1 million years is a huge span of time. But You're talking about multiple civilizations rising and falling, and and being and not being able to have any evidence or knowledge that they existed before. You know, it's it's entirely who who knows in several in several hundred thousand years, if something were to happen to us and another generation of man appeared on this planet, they would have no awareness of us whatsoever. Mm-hmm. They would have to dig really deep. That's just how old these guys are. When they arrived in the Milky Way galaxy, I mean. The oldest, most advanced races that we know, like the Asgard, could have been, you know, non-existent. Very infantile. They could have been microbes in, in the yeah. swamp still, and then rise to become their own ancient civilization. Uh, we call them the ancients for good reason. They're super old. After the plague, the ancients, for whatever reason, uh, decided to leave again. And they set a course for uh, another galaxy in a local group called Pegasus. Now, do we know uh, what this plague was and where it came from? No. No, that's been always one of the, the great myths. Uh, I, for a while, thought that it was going to have something to do with the wraith, but we eventually found that uh, that uh, the wraith didn't emerge as a species until they reached the Pegasus galaxy. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then I thought it had something to do with the Ori, and that's not the case. So this plague is a real enigma. Yeah, and it seems to be galaxy-wide. I mean, they were the ancients at this point had settled multiple planets in the Milky Way galaxy. You mentioned Window of Opportunity, where they built a time machine to, to loop time to try and give themselves a way to solve this, this plague to come up with a solution. Mm-hmm. And eventually they gave mm-hmm. up. You know, they, they're dying out, and their civilization is millions of years old, probably, and is, is looking like it could come to an end. We have this little line from the Asgard early on saying that... that, that when when the alliance came to an end, the ancients moved on from our part of the galaxy, from our part of space, long ago. I think that you can infer from that and from the first moments in Rising, where, where no words are spoken between uh, Anna Grauer and, and her husband, actually, who's playing the other ancient, mm-hmm. uh, that the ancients left to preserve either their way of life or their sp- or, or preserve themselves as a species, mm-hmm. and Ayana was was for some somehow a threat to that, or I mean, the or she was infected by this plague, and yeah, we had seen her frozen, and we know that she she was carrying. She's a carrier. So yeah, I think what we're meant to believe in in the opening moments of Rising is that she's been infected with this and is being left behind deliberately. So yeah, I think you have a a, a group of ancients in Atlantis on Earth 
who are not uh, uh, not been stricken with this plague yet, but there is basically no cure, and they decide to leave and start over in another galaxy. Uh, and then they trigger the Dakara super weapon at that point, I believe, um, because that's that, that can cure the galaxy of whatever this thing is. Uh, the, ultimately, the ancients arrive in Pegasus. They um, so before they we talk to, about Pegasus, let's let's talk about uh, Frozen a little bit more. Because there's this interesting conversation that Janet Frazier and Sam Carter have when they find Ayana and they realize uh, what she is, how old she is, and uh, they have this exchange that says, you know what, she, she could be basically an, an earlier, not, not an earlier link in our evolution, but she's actually much, much more evolved than us. So she is representative she's whole separate of, chain. of another chain of human evolution on the planet Earth, and she looks just like us. Or rather, we look just like her. And why is that that we look like her? Well, I mean, the um, the the ancients continually seed human life, mm-hmm. and I don't know if they they kept earlier versions of themselves in a petri dish, but that's what was deposited with this super weapon. I think I think it's it's not too much of a far gone conclusion to suggest that that uh, that we are we exist because of when they set that device off. Then it spawned our those who came before us, and because we are not of them, we are not we are not linked with them in any way. We are we are not of the same genetic pool, yeah. but we are of we are of the same species. Yeah, if that makes any sense. So um, here's a here's a voicemail from Marcus. I'll let Marcus pose the question. Hi guys, this is Marcus in California. I've got a question about the ancients that I feel has never been fully addressed on the show. What exactly is the connection between the ancients and the human race? We know the ancients once lived on Earth, and we know they looked very much like humans. We know that humans also live on many worlds in the Pegasus galaxy, and it's presumed that the ancients were responsible for this. The big question is why? Why would the ancients bother putting humans on any planet, and how? Did they just conjure them whole, or was evolution involved? Do they start with microbes that developed into humans? It doesn't seem like they were there long enough to accomplish that. And what about the humans on Earth? Didn't Atlanteans leave Earth before humans appeared? How is it these questions are unanswered after five years of Stargate Atlantis? They they lived on Earth, but I think what we're what we're trying to get across is that we did not evolve from them. We evolved uh, independently because of them. They seeded human life here on Earth and on other planets. Yeah, I mean, imagine finding a, a sample of, of the earliest uh, known human DNA. And we're far, far more advanced than it. But, but choosing a planet and letting that DNA spread uh, on that world, uh, letting it evolve, it would be a great way to examine yourself and discover you know, where you came from as a species, you know, l- gain more insight about your own evolution in the process. I think that's maybe what they have, they had done. I mean, we we saw in the game in Atlantis that they were mm-hmm. they they were conducting they were conducting studies on on human behavior and human interaction and and in that case actively um, manipulating events on certain worlds. So I don't think they necessarily did that with us. They just kind of let us go. But yeah. we we are where we are now because of what they set in motion. And maybe we're like destiny. Maybe they set that experiment in motion and ascended or or uh, got st- struck with the plague and left, or whatever, and didn't see that out. You know, mm-hmm. That's one of the big questions about the ancients, seeding their own kind of life, both here and in the Pegasus galaxy, is what, what for? Why were they, were, were they trying to study us and learn more about themselves? Um, were they just sort of egocentrically uh, thinking, hey, we're awesome, so you know, let's populate this entire galaxy with our kind? That's sort mm-hmm. of left out there as an outstanding question. But Marcus also asked about humans on other planets, and it was established really early on in SG-1 that all of these human, uh, humanoid races that we come across in our travels, for the most part, they were transplanted from Earth by the ghoul just a few thousand Transplanted years. humans. And as far as we know, there is little to no connection between the Gould and, uh, and the ancients. The, the Gould and the Unas uh, managed to get off of, of, their, of their primitive world and... Uh, they eventually overran the galaxy. Yeah, but in theory, couldn't there be other other worlds populated in, in the Milky Way galaxy from from the ancient seeding? Yeah. Or did they just seed Earth? No, I, I 
I mean, you, you see examples of, of technologically advanced worlds out there in the galaxy that, that have nothing to do with the Abydos cartouche. And it's, it's, not, it's conceivable that those are ancient worlds. Yeah, or, or worlds that don't even necessarily have a stargate. Yeah, they're, they're off the grid. The Gould never knew about them. So the ancients did definitely seed life in the Milky Way. Because, I mean, as uh, Milia says in, in the pilot episode of Rising, you know, we meet her in Before I Sleep. She says, as before, as before, we seeded, we seeded life in the Pegasus galaxy. So they did do that in, in, in the Milky Way galaxy. And, of course, in the Pegasus galaxy, this has some unforeseen consequences. And on one of those planets, the seeded human DNA, or, or maybe an early evolutionary stage of human life, gets mixed up with the DNA of this erratus bug creature. And this is the genesis of the wraith in the Pegasus galaxy. These ancients just, they, they come up with these cockamamie ideas, and they just don't see it through, and it comes back and bites them in the butt. Well, you know, I mean, the ancients are our, are our, are our storytelling device. You know, they, they, are, they are the technologically advanced species, and they have to screw up a lot so that we can, uh, can uh, encounter their technology and stumble, stumble into it face first and, and, or, or fix things. And, you know, they're, they're kind of the peon in the Stargate universe story-wise. You know, we, we use them to tell stories a lot. And basically, at the end of the day, the, the result is, man, those guys were not nearly as superior as they thought they were. Mm-hmm. Hi, this is Joe from My Guest, New York. I'm calling in about your podcast regarding uh, ancient mythology. I'd have to say the episode I'd pick is uh, Before I Sleep. Not only did we get to see the ancients inhabiting the city, but also it introduced two of the main characters of the mythology, which are Janus and Merlin. Um, and one of the things I find really interesting about the ancients is that they don't really seem to want to share their technology with us. Whether it be in uh, Before I Sleep, they didn't want to give us CPMs, or in The Return, Part 1 and 2, when they kicked us out of the city. Uh, or as Ascended Beings, where they have not wanted to help us at all. I just don't think that if they were still around that we would be as far as we are right now. I think they would have denied us technology like the Knox and the Tolan did. Also, I'd like to say I'm sad to see that you guys are going to be off the air for a little bit, but I look forward to the podcast returning in September just as much as I do uh, SGU Season 2 premiere. Uh, thanks. Bye-bye. In Before I Sleep, in Season 1 of, of Atlantis, we actually see the ancients. And I think... If memory serves, this might have been the first time, wasn't it? Other than the the recording of, of Melia in Rising, uh, yeah, that we'd actually seen and had our characters interacting with living and flesh and blood ancients. And Ayana. yeah, and these were at sort of the height of their civilization, and uh, we don't necessarily call them ancients uh, because they lived in Atlantis for millions of years. We we sort of default to calling them the land. Yeah. They're they're Lanteans, they Atlanteans. You know, Oma de Sala was a part of this this generation of, of beings, and these there's a, there's there's a pretty decent reason for why they behave to us the way that they behave. After you after you take the the all the information that uh, was offered in Atlantis, these these ancients uh, in Before I Sleep have been besieged literally all their lives for a hundred years. For an entire century, Atlantis has been attacked from above by the Wraith. Mm-hmm. They've been hammering us for a very long time. These guys are tired. They're giving up. They're going to sink the city and go back to the Milky Way galaxy. That's, that's an interesting pivot point in their, in their history. So they're getting ready to go home. Yeah, for their development as a, as a race uh, on the way to Ascension and uh, obviously for the history of the Stargate universe, uh, it's a hugely significant turning point that we see when they decide to sink Atlantis and go through the Stargate back to the Milky Way galaxy. And you're right, this generation had been at war their entire lives, I think. It's pretty safe to say. Um, and remember, at this point, even though this is really early on in the television series, Stargate Atlantis, Atlantis herself had been in the Pegasus galaxy for millions of years. Once again, it's a very huge, old place. huge span of time. They didn't just fly their city... Uh, have a few laughs and <laughs> decide to pack it up because it wasn't going well. They were there for millions of years. But then they returned. They came home, which I think is interesting that they, that they didn't take Atlantis with them this time. They only gated back uh, and, ex- and exposed themselves to the harsh realities of wor- what Earth had been at that time. And Morgan Le Fay says, 
Earth was harsh. You know, mm. you're they, they're the society is primitive. This is this is the era of Arthur. Well, this is long before Arthur. It's ten thousand years ago. There's an interesting thing going on that that I want to try and pin down with you about when ascension enters the picture, because these guys go back ten thousand years ago, so circa eight thousand BC. Uh, this is around the time, or I think a few thousand years before Ra shows up on Earth for the first time and abducts people. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, they go back and they find just really uh, primitive tribes of, of humanity. And uh, some of them, some of the ancients decide to just, you know, go up in, in the mountains and live out the rest of their lives and not, not uh, bother with uh, human development, this, this species that they have, their ancestors had seeded on this planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of them decide to actually integrate themselves into these primitive tribes. And, and so we get guys like Merlin, who we know was one of those uh, on Atlantis. Um, he, was, he was living in, in Atlantis in its final days, uh, going by the name of Mirios, I think. Moros. Moros. And, uh, and yet he's alive in the era of, of King Arthur, which is, you know, 5th, 6th century AD, just 1,500 years ago. So uh, mm-hmm. Ascension enters the picture at some point about 10,000 years ago. Right, that's before, when they all ascended. Before Moros had died of, of natural causes. Uh, and, and we've also seen that when they were in Atlantis, they were experimenting on, on Ascension technology. They had that, that uh, blue device. gas creature uh, imprisoned in hide-and-seek uh, that, that they were studying Ascension. So they were at least aware of it. But, you know, at before that era of, of ancients from Atlantis had a chance to die, they cracked it, you know, in their solitude in, I mean, just like a tribe of, of Buddhist monks, you know, they, they figured out how to ascend and that's where they went. And that's about the time that they became aware of the Ori again. So a group of them ascend to a higher plane of existence. They, we know what this is. They shed their physical bodies. Uh, they, they float around and contemplate the, themselves in the universe. Uh, they're still sort of spatially located, relatively speaking. So they're in the Milky Way galaxy, just on a higher plane of existence. They are here. Yeah, you, aren't, you don't exist everywhere. You don't occupy the entire space-time continuum from one edge of the universe to the other. Uh, it's a very localized energy field, which was a very interesting discussion with Rob when he was trying to, to explain that to us. <laughs> mm-hmm. So then what's the history with Merlin and Morgan Le Fay? Merlin was aware of the threat of the Ori. He's now known as Myrdin at this point. Uh, and that's, he creates Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, uh, circa 450 uh, AD. Is he still um, an ascended being at this point? No, he descends. He descends. Okay, so he actually but, decides to take mortal form. Yes, he takes, he takes mortal form. But he also, come with him, you know, takes a, with him a lot of his powers, which, which makes him... Uh, seemingly magical among uh, the beings on Earth. And Morgan Le Fay is sent to monitor him and, uh, if necessary, stop him because uh, the ancients are seeing what he's up to. He's, he is aware of the Ori. He knows that the Ori are a growing threat, and he wants to wipe them out. Uh, he wants to do what his ancestors of millions of years ago were not able to do. So Morgan is sent to stop him if necessary. Uh, and she shuts him down at one point. He he creates a, um, a an anti ori device and mm-hmm. uh, and takes it from him, uh, it, it encapsulates him in this in this uh, closed circuit of Stargate networks. And at some point, she has a change of heart. She realizes that the ancients that she uh, has been um, taking orders from on the higher plane uh, are wrong, and she hides Merlin so that uh, and with and with him his knowledge. Of, of creating an anti-Ori device so that at one point, at somewhere down the line, when the ascended beings come to their senses and realize that the Ori do pose a genuine threat, she'll be able to say, hey, here, I've stashed him. <laughs> um, here, let's, uh, let's do this. And that's what ultimately happens. So there's a couple of things philosophically going on at this point. Again, this is, this is probably... Um, Merlin had retaken his human form and begun to age again. And this was probably around the time of Arthur. Um, 
Circa, he created. He established. Yeah, circa fifth, sixth century. I think the historians among us can pin that down a little bit better. But uh, let's just say roughly the year five hundred, give or take. Um, so Merlin is human and he's aging. This is about fifteen hundred years ago. And philosophically, there's two things going on with the ancients at this stage. One is they're probably still holding on to that that mindset towards the Ori that we saw the Altarians had at the beginning of our history millions of years ago, tens of millions of years before, um, that, that we don't think it's right to, to use our technology to get our way with these guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the case of Merlin, it's wiping them out of existence. In the case of, of Amelius and the Ark of Truth, it was, it was brainwashing them. Um, and then on the other hand, they are super powerful non-corporeal beings who have also, over the course of, of their their thousands of years as ascended beings, have also developed this ethic of non-interference. You do not interfere with, with beings on any lower plane. You let them go, and they make their own decisions. Yeah, and we have seen examples of that, that rule in play, and how catastrophic it is when it's broken. Uh, you remember the episode Ascension from Season 5 of Stargate SG-1, uh, when we first met Orland. Orlin felt bad for uh, the the Valonan civilization. He gave them he gave them technology to defeat their I think the Gould, and they ultimately turned it on themselves. And in consequence, the ancients uh, gave him a bloody nose. They wiped out the entire Valonan civilization. So there are a few of these of these uh, ancients of these ascended beings at this point who don't necessarily agree with the collective whole. When Orlin decided that he wanted to help the Valonans. Uh, bad call. He gave them a big honking space gun, and uh, we should distinguish between the ancients' non-interference directive and something that everybody's familiar with, like the Prime Directive on Star Trek. The Prime Directive is is all about let's allow this civilization to develop on its own natural course and become who they're going to be. The ancients, it's it's not that because they didn't just sort of take away the space gun and, and, and ban Orlin from talking to the Valonians again. They utterly destroyed the civilization. Yeah, because they could pose a potential threat on the rest of the galaxy. And it was a threat that, that Orlin created, and that was unacceptable. Yeah. Oma totally. Dasala also decides to take her own course. She believes that uh, mm-hmm. her duty to guide lesser beings, lesser, lesser knowledgeable beings in the ways of ascension. Like it's, it's, uh, it's her charge to, to help them find the light. And she goes one step too far. Uh, the Gould Anubis, this is about the same time that he's been, he's been pushed out of the system. Lord collective. They say, no, you know, you're whatever, I mean, whatever it was, he was so bad that his actions were unspeakable, whatever the hell that was. They never explained that. Mm-hmm. But at about this point, Alma finds Anubis, and Anubis tricks her into uh, yeah, ascending he suckers her. And the ancients uh, can't push him out entirely. He gets stuck in kind of a ascended sandbar, and is is jammed in there. And they decide to punish Alma in the process. That, we're not exactly clear of what they did to her, but she was still able to ascend other beings, kind of as a, this ongoing penance. But the, the ancients are pretty strict. Yeah, but they, part uh, of her part of her punishment was having to watch Anubis, having to watch yeah. him come back with freaky superpowers and take over the galaxy. Rain havoc, yeah. Uh, so yeah, again, that that philosophy of non-interference plays out in just a weird way. You know, the galaxy be damned when it comes to Anubis. Well, the ancients are vindictive, um, and and they like to rub it in. They like to rub it in your face when you uh, yeah. when you do something. And, and will we'll put innocent beings in the line of fire to prove their point, and that's mm-hmm. why Daniel no, could no longer be a part of them. And you know, Oma rings, even though she doesn't agree with the ancients. You know, she, she, her voice rings some of their beliefs. The 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 reality that you come from is is so small and insignificant compared to the rest of the, the universe. And she just has to smile when Daniel turns to her and says, "It doesn't matter. It's still wrong." Yeah, Daniel learned a lot uh, in the year that he was ascended. Threads is such a big episode for the ancients because it's Daniel uh, in the presence of of the ancients. Uh, yeah, he's reconciling with why he left. Represented by this uh, this uh, diner, this uh, what I'm calling the big pancake house in the sky. <laughs> uh, with with Oma as a waitress, 
And uh, the ancients are represented as a bunch of old people sitting around sipping coffee, not talking. They will, they refuse to engage. They've been it all. They've they've seen it all, and they're just kind of waiting for whatever happens next. And uh, only do they look up when when someone crosses them. So Orlin describes Oma as an outcast. Mm-hmm. He never knew of her. He was from a d- different generation of ancients. Yeah. Which she was. She uh, she sets up house on Keb and uh, helps. We know at least at least Jaffa to ascend at the end of their lives. Uh, they they travel to this mythical planet and and apparently she's helping them to ascend. So and eventually she also does it with the, with the Abedonians, saves them from from Anubis by helping them all to ascend. So she's creating herself a little club, and and her at least. I mean, if if the original division. Uh, between the ancients and the Ori was over science versus religion. By by this point in the timeline, Oma at least, if if not the rest of them, really sort of have a a religious philosophical bent. I think that the ascension is is landmark in their philosophical outlook because you know she does have this this really spiritualized understanding of of ascension. This is not just a step of evolution and how we exist without physical bodies. Uh, and you know, let's go on you know, inventing weird devices. Uh, this is this is really spiritualized in her account. Okay, so yeah. Morgan has Merlin trapped in a bottle, and she is uh, waiting around for the ancients to change their mind. She has had a change of heart, and it's only when Daniel and Vala accidentally step uh, into the Ori galaxy that this whole thing comes unraveled. They no longer have the luxury of waiting anymore. The Ori are going to pounce on the Milky Way, and thus, you know, and they have they have located uh, where the ancients left, and, and they're going to come and they're going to come and take them out. It's the time the time to act has has been moved up to now. Yeah, and they still don't. We learn that the Ori are not just coming to convert us, but they're coming to convert all the mortal beings in our galaxy because that supercharges them because their ultimate aim is to come and take on the ancients directly on the higher plane. Once they have enough mortal energy in the form of worship, they will be more powerful than the ancients and they can wipe them out. And which was the goal all along from the beginning. They were trying to get rid of these guys. Mm -hmm. And after millions upon millions upon millions of years, they're still at it. And the ancients do nothing. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, the most that the ancients ever do is sort of permissive, I think, with, with Oma and with Daniel and with Morgan. They sort of, of agree to look the other way while Morgan goes and does what needs to be done. But there's some point around the creation of Adria, sneaking one of their own over the border, the Ori, where the ancients allowed Daniel to complete the Ori superweapon, and they don't, they don't take it away. They don't take it away for some. I, I, in the shroud, I still don't quite understand why they did that. Yeah. And then it goes into the Ori galaxy and it wipes out the Ori. It yeah, finally does away with they them. They let it happen. And later in the Arc of Truth, they let Morgan go with the Odyssey to finish the job. Uh, so there's. I, I really wish it would have been explored a little bit more because it, it really is, is against everything that the ancients ever believed in. You know, what, what is it that happened there? That's kind of the big mystery. I mean, we, we asked Cooper that, and basically his answer is that, you know, at some point they had a change of heart. And, and mm. you know, we just have to take it at, at face value that, you know, they ultimately realized that uh, survival is important. You can't, just, you can't just let someone wipe you out. Yeah, I wonder if they have some some weird sort of version of pacifism in their philosophy. You know, a version of pacifism that allows you to wipe out civilizations, maybe because they're lower beings. Um, but when it comes to the Ori who are ascended, you know, maybe the ancients were not willing to take them on themselves, were not willing to engage in battle, but they were willing to let somebody else do it for them. They're not going to actively stop you from stopping their enemy. But they were actively stopping uh, Merlin, and something happened at some point. I, I think maybe it had to do with Adria, where yeah. where they realized That's that the Ori, okay, they're gonna they're gonna play dirty. And it's it comes down to a simple question: Do you want to continue to exist or not? If the answer is yes, then you must eliminate 
these beings. You know, Daniel says, you know, this is, I realize it is at the very essence of what you are. It cuts you right down to it. But we're talking about survival here. It, you know their philosophy. It is either them or you. So one thing before we hit this last point here of where the ancients are today, uh, one thing we haven't talked about is destiny. When in this timeline do we peg the creation and the launch of destiny? Because we've been Man, told... I was hoping you wouldn't ask me that. We have been told that destiny was launched from Earth. And so we, yes. have, we have a gap of time where the ancients apparently were not on Earth. Um, but several million years ago, Atlantis leaves, apparently because of the plague. And so I think it's safe to say that, that the ancients who were still here, like Ayana, uh, died out. Uh, the ancients who were on the, the planet with the time loop machine, the window of opportunity, died out. Uh, mm -hmm. And so from several millions of years ago up until 10,000 years ago, when Moros and the group from Atlantis comes back, uh, as far as we know, there are no ancients in the Milky Way galaxy. Yeah, Rush kind of dropped a red herring in the pilot. I, f I forget what it was, the, ex the exact timeline, um, uh, the, the exact number of years ago that he, that he mentions that the... Launched that hundreds was, of thousands of years ago. Yeah, I know. That's, that's just... That's, that's inaccurate. And there are a couple of... I, I wish they will sooner or later give us, a, give us an exact date because that's, that's just driving me crazy and driving everyone crazy. <laughs> but there are a couple of guidelines that, that you can see that, that point to... Or three, actually, that, that I can think of off the top of my head that point to the destiny being anywhere from three to 50 million years old, probably closer to the latter. A, it was launched from Earth. So the ancients had a presence in the Milky Way galaxy at the time. So it had to be after... Uh, after Amelius and and before Iana, B uh, it has to be before Atlantis was created because the ancient gene uh, technology, the the ATA gene, mm -hmm. is not incorporated into any of their technology. Anyone can use it, and also the advancements of FTL uh, is relatively primitive. I believe yeah. uh, they don't go as fast as uh, as flat as fast as Atlantis can go. I think and, and all of that is right. Uh, something that somebody, uh, one of our callers, pointed out on a previous show when we talked about the age of the destiny is that it's possible Atlantis herself being so, so many millions of years old, it's possible that some point after Atlantis left Earth, the ancients there, the Lanteans, could have developed the gene technology. But yes. then we also see the gene technology at work uh, in the Atlantis outpost uh, in Antarctica uh, with, the, with the control chair that Jack sits in. And not just that, but on, on Proctor Rishtianus as well. Yeah, so I think this that's evidence technology. that, that uh, the, the ancient gene technology probably predates the departure of Atlantis. And on top of that, I mean, you, you can look at like little aesthetics. I mean, Atlantis still looks pristine, and Destiny looks like it's been lived in. So it's kind of the reverse. The, the, the city that's been lived in and, and, you know, this and that, the only thing that's, that's dead about it are the plants when we catch up to it at present day. But with Destiny, as far as we know, it's never been touched, and it looks, it looks worn in. Yeah, nobody's been there to, to wash the windows and dust mm -hmm. the furniture. Scrub the air filters. Okay, so the ancients today... Um, as far as we know, they're all, the only ancients that exist are ascended beings. We've met a few who were not ascended, uh, and somehow, you know, whether in stasis or, or whatever, uh, continued to exist. Um, what was the explanation for why, um, Helia and the, the ship of ancients that showed up in the return part one, why were they still alive? Their hyperdrive was broken. They, uh... They were uh, they were traveling as fast as they could at near light speed, and because of that, it created a time dilation. So they had only experienced a couple of years, uh, whereas on the outside, to the outside observer, they had been trying to get back to Atlantis for ten thousand years. Mm. So just because of relativity, they were moving close yes. to the speed of light, but still below it. Uh, yes, not, they were not, not able to enter subspace. Not an FTL. Right. They they were traveling at in in this space time. So uh, that that's what happens. There's a there's there's a time dilation that's caused that kind of rubber band effect where everything is kind of stretched and mm -hmm. and everyone moves really slow. But uh, they 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 only aged a couple of years, and they knew that that would be the consequence of that. Their FDL was mm -hmm. broken. They did what they could. So there were a few ancients who were were still alive and kicking, um, but but for the most part, everybody that we know now is an ascended being. Uh, Oma is somewhere locked in combat with Anubis uh, eternally. 
Uh, Morgan Le Fay is somewhere locked in combat with Adria eternally. Yeah. yeah, if only they could figure out a way to swap Adria with Anubis so those, those two could fight each other and then <laughs> Alma and uh, Morgan could go home. Yeah, that would be nice. For those of us who have watched Stargate for so long and who love the ancient storyline, it, it would just make such a fantastic teaser of an episode to have one of those two women, you know, somebody like Oma, who's been gone since season eight, uh, just show up. That's just a giant question mark. If you stop engaging Anubis in eternal combat and you show up on a doorstep, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. I would love to see them again. I don't know that we will. Um, obviously, uh, SGU is exploring uh, the ancient storyline at, at a very different point in history. But uh, you can see over the course of this discussion how the entire Stargate franchise, SG-1, Atlantis universe, all maps onto the ancients, maps onto the timeline of what the ancients have been doing over the course of many tens of millions of years. Thanks, everybody, for your voicemail this week. Once again, we are looking next week at our big 100th episode of the podcast. So we're going to be kicking back. We're going to have some of our friends from uh, years gone by just come on and talk to us about, uh, about Stargate, about what they're doing, about whatever is going on. So it's going to be one of those shows about nothing that you just can't miss. 100 episodes of podcasting. So Come and join us. Can't miss it. If you would like to be a part of it, we would love to have as many uh, listeners uh, on the show as possible, especially those of you who have been listening for two years now. I don't know why anybody Man. would listen to this for two years. Yeah. But still, we I mean, hugely appreciate you guys. We do. We do. Every single one. I, I'm still amazed that we have the number of listeners that we do. You know, I, I run across people who, who who say, I, I listen to you every week. I'm like, why? <laughs> so, so I'm not a podcast listener. I don't listen to these darn things. I just I just participate in them. Yeah, well, it's I fun for my own show. It's fun for me to talk to to David, but uh, for somebody to listen to me talk to David, I don't know what's going on. So uh, this week's listener question: We want to hear from as many of you guys as possible. Um, tell us when and where you listen to the podcast. What you like about our show, and looking ahead to the next hundred episodes of the podcast. What do you want to hear us talk about? What sort of Format changes or new ideas would you like to see implemented? Let's have them. I, I think you, you got a taste in the last week's episode, the science of SGU, uh, where we're going. You know, we're pretty tapped out in terms of, of, of our talking points. Everyone knows what we think about just pretty much every subject. So we're going to start to bring in some more experts. I think, I think now that the show has kind of reached a critical mass to the point where uh, we're, we're pretty well known out there and, and people in a lot of different fields are aware of us. And it's not too hard to get someone to say yes when we ask, uh, uh, would you like to come on the show? So, you know, in, in terms of that, you know, I would love to have like a, a Stargate and a religion discussion where we, where we have a couple of theologians, inclu- including yourself, some people uh, who are who, – who, th- I mean this area of study is their life to come on and discuss th- the, the spiritual aspects of Stargate in addition to the science and all of that. So tell us what you think. Uh, that's the August 4th show, and then we are going off the air for about six weeks. The rest of the summer, we will definitely be back in time. Uh, to talk about the second season of Stargate Universe, which we have an, we have an air date now. That was news. Uh, SGU premieres on Tuesday, September 28th in the U.S., and we don't know yet how it's going to be scheduled in Canada or the U.K. or elsewhere, mm-hmm. but I'm guessing the season's probably going to start about the same week in those mm-hmm. areas. So uh, we're going to probably... I'm going to have to talk to David about this, but I think we're going to move from Wednesdays to Monday. So that we can record and edit over the weekend. Uh, and mm-hmm. still get the podcast discussion published before the next episode of SGU airs the next Tuesday. So um, I think our first show back is probably going to be on September 20th, but we'll talk about this, um, I think, next week. So we'll do, we'll do a couple of shows. We'll do a recap, an SGU recap special, uh, that Monday, right before the season premiere. I'd like to to rename that one to the if you if you're willing to the SGU pregame show. That's good. So definitely come back next week for our 100th episode bash. And thanks for tuning in to episode 99. Uh, give us a call on the podcast hotline at 951-262-1647 if you want to be a part of next week's big show. Or you can also uh, email a brief audio recording of yourself uh, that you make on your computer. Email it to webmaster at gateworld.net. 
uh, and and let's try and get it in by this weekend, uh, before the weekend is out if you want to be on the show. We definitely want to, to hear your voice. So, and as always, you know, you can leave us uh, feedback in the podcast feedback thread in uh, Gate World Forum. Uh, love to see your pretty avatar over there. And uh, don't forget Darren's always famous show notes, which are kicked out every single week. You know, when this podcast, if you download directly from iTunes, keep in mind you can go to GateWorld and and see a, a complete log of of links and pertinent data pertaining to everything uh, that we discuss in this episode. Show it's kind of like notes. This show week notes are going to be huge. Let me tell you, talking about tens of millions of years of ancient history and all these characters. Uh, if you are wondering who the heck uh, Mirius is, head over to the show notes and you're going to find links to all of that stuff. From GateWorld, this is Darren. This is David. And we'll see you next week for the 100th episode of the GateWorld Podcast.